Welcome to the Get With It podcast. I will be your host, Elizabeth. This podcast will focus on the decline of women in technology and how our grassroots organization works with the community to foster relationships and reducing the gap of women in tech. We will be talking with both men and women on how to continue to move the needle forward on those relationships. For more information, please check us out at getwitit.org. Welcome to another edition of the Get With It podcast. Today I have Patricia Bradley. Did I say that right? Yes. Like, I feel like that was a pretty, I, I felt confident going into that last name. Sometimes la- names do not work, <laughs> especially last names. <laughs> so um, Patricia is joining us from New Jersey, correct? New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And um, we were just chatting, ironically enough, um, you're heading out to a holiday party, a Christmas party, and uh, it's on the beach. Oh my god, what's the weather? Like, is it out on the beach? Uh, no, it's at a restaurant that looks at the uh, uh, right in in Seabright, um, a very nice Italian restaurant, you know, BYOB, but incredible food, you can't get in there, but it's right on the beach in Seabright. So you're looking at the water. And actually, it's beautiful. It's like in the 50s here today. So it's really nice. Not cold. Oh, that's, yeah, that's not bad at all. I snuck out no jacket, get my man, you know, to get work from work out of the house most of the time or I travel and uh it's beautiful outside today just beautiful like April weather not December weather not December weather so no snow on the ground yet not even close although I love a good snowstorm okay (laughs) I do I love I love the hush so like if you grew up in New York City when it would snow you'd get that hush over the city and that hustle and bustle slows down and it's just quiet and it's just something serene and peaceful about it that I really just enjoy that feeling that you get from a good snowstorm. Now the day after it's not pretty snow anymore, but the day of it's beautiful. I'm pretty sure the, our friends in Buffalo probably didn't think it was so great. Yeah, that was pretty wild <laughs> to watch. They they know that. That they 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 live there. This is not new for them. They've had a lake effects forever. So yeah, it should not be new to them. So no. yes. Yeah, so all right. Well, on to that we got we were sidetracked waiting. Um so let's start off where you kind of started your whole whole life. Oh, my life is a little crazy. I am one of those kids that I say has grit and spunk. Um, so I grew up in New York City in the boroughs, staring at, you know, downtown Manhattan most of my life. I'm a, what I call like a borough brat from the boroughs of New York City, grew up in the boroughs, worked. My first job was on Wall Street, working for one of the finance firms. Um, I realized very quickly I did not have the right family pedigree as a woman back then in the day to make it on Wall Street without the right family connections. My dad did not work in Wall Street. In fact, I'm actually the only person in my family who went to college. So I'm the first person and the only person. Um, So obviously, I didn't have deep connections of previous people that worked on Wall Street. And I was an economics major. I wanted to be an analyst. I went to work there and then realized that wasn't going to work. They've kept sending me for coffee. So I decided I was going to have to do something different. 
And I went, I got into, through my spunk, I got into UPS, United Parcel Service, uh, their management training program. Um, the only caveat was you had to drive a truck in Manhattan as part of that. So you had to be willing to do that. So I went to UPS, um, went through their training program, wound up getting into their engineering program. So wound up in industrial engineering at UPS, started their logistics entities as one of the first employees working in logistics within New York City, got to redesign warehouses as part of that and workflows and optimize um, manufacturing and how things were flowed through different businesses. And so it was like a consulting business within their organization. So I did things like coach bags. I did a company called Allied Brass. I did uh, a catalog company and some others uh, and helped them optimize their business. From there, I wound up, because I didn't want to work in warehouses anymore in the middle of the night, I wound up uh, in healthcare going into pharmaceuticals. Um, but while I was in graduate school, I got the bug for startups and tech because they were, they were, let's be honest, they're the only ones that were willing to give me a flexible schedule when I needed it to take some classes that I needed to get my MBA. So I wound up working many, many years ago for a health tech company where they used AI for cancer detection. So neural nets back in the day before it became fashionable, um, did that and really loved it. Watched the company go public. Um, and then eventually sold, you know, sold. And then I went back into a more formalized, more traditional healthcare in pharma for many years, working for Nova Nordisk as part of um, leadership within the U.S. And then when there was changes within that organization, I wound up going back into startups and stepped my foot back into health tech and health tech startups and digital health and uh, did a stint at Huma, which is a digital healthcare company based out of London. Um, really enjoyed that, have stayed on as an advisor for them. And then um, really last year, at this time last year, got into, you know, was in discussions at MindMaze to head up global commercial activities for them. And I am the chief global commercial officer for MindMaze, which is a digital neurotherapeutics company, really focusing on neuro recovery and restoration. So that's what we do. Okay. We got to go back. I got lots of questions. Absolutely. <laughs> so you just like kind of threw out, but didn't give the details. Did you really have to drive a UPS truck through Manhattan? A big one. Yep. A P1000. Big a big one. The P1000 had double wheels in the back. It was stick shift. And yep, I had to drive that, park it, back it up into locations in my cute little brown uniform. In fact, I remember my first week at, at UPS, they thought they were funny. They made me put on my brown uniform, drive a truck and deliver it to the former company on Wall Street that I worked at and made me deliver a package to that office. Talk oh. about being amazed. It was pretty funny. So, uh, you know, it's part of, you know, getting, getting initiated into the different things. But yes, I drove the package car. And everybody at the time, that was part of the commitment is you had to learn that business from the ground up. You had to load the trucks. You had to learn the sort. Um, you had to back thing, back them up to the belts. You had to move things around. Every Christmas for your entire time there, you would get on package cars and deliver until all hours. How do you, how do you think they come up with all these extra people to deliver those holiday packages we order online all the time? Did you take anybody it's all out? all management people. What? Did you take anybody out? 
No, but I took out a few mirrors along the way. I did. If, and, and listen, that was sport. If you did not turn your mirrors in on these public streets, they are good to be taken out by my truck coming down. I didn't. Gotcha. Knock on wood, I didn't hit anybody. I didn't hit a car, but I definitely took out some mirrors of trucks that did not turn them in. And that's their fault, not mine. I mean, that's the rules, right? Those are the rules of the road. Yeah. I can drive. I, I'm a mean driver in New York City. Oh my gosh, that would give me anxiety. <laughs> don't worry, I can take you around. I'll tell you, just close your eyes and, and don't look. Oof. Wow. Yeah. It's okay. All right. So yes, yes, I did. It was a fun adventure. And I was, I mean, what a great workout. You know, those packages could be 70 mm. pounds each. You were working out. You were. were. You That's were. why UPS drivers look so good in their uniforms. You know, I could, I, I could say that now. <laughs> I could say that. <laughs> yes, it was. You I will tell you, that that. The, outside of uh, when I was playing college sports, I was in great shape during that time. During your UPS thing. Okay. So then you went to, you said AI. Um, so I, I did a small stint in pharma and then wound up while I, was, I went back into graduate school and worked, uh, actually worked in AI for cancer detection. I worked for a company called Neuromedical Systems that used neural nets and other artificial intelligence to identify abnormal cells and actually was part of the pap smear revolution. This is, um, we were part of the changes that you got to see in women's healthcare. So I had kind of come out of women's healthcare initially, and I got very intrigued by, I mean, if you if you look at cancer, it's all about early detection, early intervention. Um, and I thought it was it was really cutting edge at the time to use neural nets. And and now we're seeing it more and more. When I go to conferences, I see this. I'm like, oh my goodness, that I was in that 20 years ago. Uh, and it's it was just prior to clouds and the portability of information that that really kind of got in the way of that technology early on. The technology was great. You basically teach a neural net how to identify abnormal cells, and it does a much better job at kind of checking checks and balances on pap smears. And pap smears have changed dramatically. And that's where it started. But it can be used for any specimen where you can identify cells. Wow. Um, it came out of NASA. It was actually technology used in satellites for missile detection that they think, you you know, you can teach it to do anything you want it to do. Um, and I'm seeing it now, like I said, at shows where they're, you're seeing it applied in other areas. And it's really fun to see it, to see it in action. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. So 20 years ago, that was way ahead of its time. It was. It really was. And, and I, you know, I think that's when you get the bug to get into these things because technology, having been in industrial engineering, um, you're always thinking about how to scale up and grow and technology is a perfect platform for that. So I was even part of the teams that did the dyad training. This was when UPS went to computers to capture signatures and give kind of instant feedback about, um, you know, packages were delivered and signed for. Oh, technology. like the little, when you had yeah, to sign a little was pad? Part of the team that did all of that work in the US. Oh. Um, for them when I was at UPS um, within engineering. So there is just, I mean, that's a, that's a perfect play for technology where it can, it can either be a great checks and balances to quality check things. It can help you scale up. I don't think, I think people always thought it would replace people, but the truth is, is it just allows you to be a little bit more specialized and more strategic in what you do. And 
like for cancer detection, it doesn't take out human intervention to look at the final results. It's just giving you a better view of what to look at. And that's what that technology did. It was, it was saying, hey, you looked at the specimen. These are the worst looking cells in this particular sample. Take a second look and make sure you didn't miss something. Because sometimes cancer is not spread across the entire picture. You know, you might miss something. And if you can get it early, that's what it was all about. And I just felt that was so compelling um, to be part of. And it was was really a great experience. But you, we went through the hot, the whole IPO process, FDA approval and IPO process. So you really learn a lot about how to bring things to market, how to leverage technologies, how to showcase them. Um, but then you also learn limitations because at the time, the portability of those images, it's not like they could just fly across like they do now. Um, and now you could just, you know, you could do it and have it just pop up on a screen somewhere because technology has moved so fast. Right. Right. It's much easier to do that. Right. That is true. But you probably saved people's lives. I I do believe that we did. Yes. And that really, uh, that's that's kind of how I wound up in the type of healthcare and health tech that I'm in, um, is because it's always personal, right? It really is always, always personal. I mean, where I am now, we're in neurotechnologies, neuro... Uh, rehab, neuro restoration. And and I really got into this. What made me receptive to do this was my dad was in rehab at the time. And this is the brain, right? Yeah. So this, what we work on in our first therapeutic area that we're going into is, is neuro, is rehab, right? Uh, Related to neurological conditions like stroke. Okay. Um, And there's, there's no drugs, right? You have, you have a stroke, there's no drugs, but post event, there's a window of what they call neural uh, hyperplasticity, right? Your brain is really desperately trying to find a new way to rewire itself. And that is where technology can play a significant role of making rehab much more accessible, making it high dose, high intensity in a way that we could never do or never be able to afford to do without technology. That's not to say that therapists, therapists do an amazing job but there's not enough of them. And how do you do this constantly with a patient, right? You can't now, you know, you get in your car, you drive to a rehab center, you're there for an hour, then you go home. It's like going to the gym. Um, Or even if you're in a hospital, you're going out to do it two times a day with somebody. So why can't you actually bring it to them and have them do that at home where they can do much more rehab and we put it in, in a game gamified format and we protocolize their care so that it actually works on the parts of their body where they have a deficit, where they need to improve. It's not teaching them how to use their good hand. You're you're helping them use the hand that needs to be improved and trying to get their function back to normal. And we know that high doses of this work and they help people. So why not try to do that? as much as you can and utilize technology. And that's that's what we do now. And then we can measure it and monitor it. And the computers don't lie. There's no bias in them. So they're doing like a numerical assessment of your range of motion. And they know when you're cheating. They also can catch you because they map out your whole body. Like when you're using the wrong part of your body to do something. And then you can change the therapy so that they can't cheat anymore. You know, so you're, <laughs> you're, really, you're really working on, on it to to get them to work what they really need to work to get the best recovery possible. And, 
you know, when you sit there, my situation, I was watching my dad, he was in a rehab center and, and there full time um, for a period of time post a, he had an, a hospital, he had surgery and then needed to stay there. And you're thinking he spent most of his time watching reruns of, of the, of old Western movies on his TV where he could have been doing some kind of fun activity that actually helped him keep all of his movements going because it is use it or lose it. So it's on a computer. So we, yeah. So, so this is, this is actually hard. We are hardware and software in combination. So we are a full kind of system with a camera that's watching you. And then you're playing games on a computer. And at the same time, the camera's watching you tracking your movements. Um, and then we have additional hardware that you can use so that it can detect the smallest hand movement if your hand is not functioning well, but you can detect it and it will create beautiful visuals on a screen that, you know, you can play with and different games that you can play. Um, we also have sensors that we can place on you to measure movement when you're not playing the games. And then if you can't move at all, we have electrical stimulation devices that can help you open up where you can't move on your own. Um, so it's we're a combination of software and hardware and a protocolized therapy to treat um, or restore brain function. So we can be used in stroke. Uh, we'll, we're also doing clinical trials for traumatic brain injury, for other movements to, disorders such as MS and Parkinson's disease, um, and even things like Alzheimer's. So so we'll play in all those areas. Behavioral therapies, which are these movement therapies. Um, really have benefits in so many places and like in stroke there's there's no other option there's no drug to help you recover better there's there's nothing else so it's it's a perfect it just it's it's a perfect place where technology really can bring something that that is needed into a marketplace where there's nothing so that's the first area stroke and then we'll continue on with other therapeutic areas that we that we work in so do you work like with hospitals on this or rehab centers? Like, how did you, I'm assuming you've tested this on people. <laughs> we do, we, we, we do. And uh, we work with all of it. So it can, it can start um, right in the hospital post an event. And then those, we have uh, situations there. So for example, at Johns Hopkins or Mount Sinai, there's fully submersive rooms where patients can actually get like a full surround sound experience. And it's a very open open forum, like open play. Um, and they, we have a, a game that's called mind pod. Well, we have a system that's called mind pod where they are basically a dolphin and then dolphin is chasing, catching prey and eating fish. And it has games with jellyfish and you have to avoid the shark that's going to try to eat you and all these kind of fun things. So it's just fun, but it makes you move. Um, so we start early in the hospital. So we're looking at early intervention and then we step down with them all the way home. So we will go into what you call step down care, which is independent rehab hospitals. And we'll we'll be there. And then we can even get into outpatient where they come back in for it. And we can even be a system in their home, just like, you know, kids have all kinds of gaming systems in the home. And we can be the same thing, but it's 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 much more technical than that. It's not, you know, it's not like a Wii where you're just going to be playing tennis or something. It's <laughs> it's using high tech cameras. And it's tracking you. And then there is very protocolized games that you're playing, but it is fun and it's addicting. So it gets you to do more and it's engaging. And there are hundreds of combinations of uses that you can do. And, 
you know, there's no shortage in finding game developers out there. So we can keep, we'll keep, you know, adding more that and more to true. the portfolio. That is true. <clears throat> Lots of gamers out there. So how is this just locally in your area? Like, say like, I don't know you, somebody in Ohio here. Mm-hmm. And, and they have a stroke. Is this care available? Or this, I don't, it, it's not a program, yeah. right? It, how would you define so it, is, it, I guess? We, we are, um, we are, you know, we're, we're already in the market active. So we've actually, you know, okay. so we're, we're already um, FDA approved, as you would say. And there's two, there's a couple of systems and all, all of it has been FDA approved for neurological conditions. So if somebody wanted it, like, like, for example, there are facilities like Mount Sinai that has it and Johns Hopkins and others. But, um, actually, in, even today, we, we have a press release. We just signed a uh, contract with Vibra, which is an independent rehab hospital chain, and they have locations from coast to coast and will slowly be rolling out within their facilities to have this available through them. Um, but even so, then we can refer people back to one of these academic centers then who do sell up, set up tele remote programs for patients in different places so that if, if somebody really wanted it, we could connect them to the people at Mount Sinai who could get them a system at their home and then they would be monitoring their care and covering the pro, you know, making sure that they're following the right protocols and making the, the medical adjustments that need to be made. So we work with David Petrino at Mount Sinai and his laboratory there. Um, and then of course there's, there's a whole group at Johns Hopkins too that we work with that have these systems there that do it. But then it's not just here. We are also in the UK. We are in uh, Spain, Portugal, France, Germany, Switzerland, um, we're even in India, and it's slowly spreading across the globe. Oh, so global. Mm-hmm. Full global. Okay. So, how does I don't want that? How that work is is not. So, do you see a difference of cultures between like people here in the United States and overseas on how quickly they respond, how quickly they are I always other cultures seem to have better I don't know like healthcare ways of doing things sometimes and and you know you look at like the Chinese culture and they have herbs and acupuncture and all of that do you have can you tell if it you know the percentage of rate faster of somebody healing in a different culture or? I don't think you see differences in, in people and recovery from it. I do think you see difference in adoption in certain areas. So like um, if you look at it, often the military is very interested in this because of injuries incurred there. So they, they like many things, the military militaries in many different countries are very interested in it, in technologies because they've always been kind of, faster adopters of technology um, in general. So we do see that. But I think most people have the same issue of lack of healthcare providers and lack of therapists to meet the need and demand that you have. So the need for the technology is there globally. We see that across the board. Um, 
how they do it depends upon how their healthcare system is set up from reimbursement. And that's what's lagging behind right now is getting reimbursement involved in this process. So um, you have to do, you know, we're doing full on trials, just like you do for a drug on this. And then you have to do health economics outcomes research, because just because it's it's common sense, right, that this works, um, but they still want the data on it. So we are we are doing that. We know that we we do know from what we see in published literature that we do way more that what we see in our patients is a significant increase in the number of movements from what you traditionally see in therapy. Um, but we still have to do all of that work. We do have some preliminary results of improvement in outcomes, and we've done many clinical trials. And, and even though it's common sense on half of this, um, it just takes time to get the ecosystem to, to follow along because, you know, most cultures are, I don't want to pay for anything. And how do these technologies come out? Just like I went back to pap smears when I started in that, the first three or four years of that being in the marketplace, if not longer, was you had to pay for it. You had to pay a certain amount of money to have these new high-tech, like ThinPrep. You had to pay money to get one of those 20 years ago. You had to pay out of pocket. Um, and the same thing can happen here is that you have to, you know, it, it's how do you get into the ecosystem and get the system to actually pay for these things so that it's available to you. And that's like your insurance. Yeah, that takes time. Gotcha. Do you, it, it, will it ever be caught up? I have oh, to think yeah. so. You think I so? Have, I do think so. I mean, there is, there's such a need for some of these things and they fill a gap that exists. And it, the burden of care is significant. I mean, we realize that people don't, it's not like, like patients are still there. They just become incapacitated and they don't move. The cost to take care of them far outweighs the cost of getting a gamified therapy in their home. I mean, there's there's just no comparison when you look at the economics. You, so I do think it will catch up. I do think it will catch up. If it follows suit to other things, it will probably be restricted to certain therapeutic areas at first until it becomes more widespread. Um, but I do believe some of these things will will take off. They'll just take a little bit of time, awareness, and and some exposure to actually patient data, and then and then it will go from there. Um, but they do. They it's a it's an I I would have done this for my my father passed away in a in a rehab hospital. There was no reason for him to pass away. Um, absolutely no reason. But if you don't get moving, there are other things to happen to patients that don't get don't move. You get you wind up with pneumonia, and he wound up in that vicious cycle. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, so mm -hmm. you you mentioned the military. Mm -hmm. And the first thought that came to my mind was PST, right? Post, mm -hmm. yeah. Post traumatic stress disorder. PTSD. Um, PTS. PTSD. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yeah, I mean, it, so it, it does any kind of, uh, you know, we haven't been tested in that, but, but these type of behavioral therapies do work um, in general. And that you've seen that as almost like a side effect of stress relief and anxiety and, and other things that you, you can look, there's a lot of literature on, on these, these type of therapies and what extra, I mean, it's exercise, right? What exercise mm -hmm. does in general for your sense of well-being um, and 
these patients, while that's not really the primary indication of it, there are benefits in some of those areas. So for us, we know that, I mean, with the military, um, obviously they, they can, there's a lot of issues of, of, uh, traumatic brain injury and, and concussions and things like that from, from things that go on in the field. Um, and there's, there's great benefits. There's so many benefits. I mean, the best thing to, to ward off Alzheimer's is exercise. It's the only reason I get up in the morning, right? <laughs> Sometimes to exercise, you just got to get moving. You know, you just got to get, you just got to get moving. And these things help. So there's so many benefits to physical movement. I mean, there is without a doubt a mind-body connection, no, no matter what. And we all know that it always makes you feel better. Um, and that's a, that's a, a, what I call a really nice side effect of these things. I did not know that. Yeah, I get I mean, up in the mornings for my coffee. <laughs> I do. I do too. I do too. I, I will say sometimes I get up, I have my coffee. Then I, you know, then I'm part of that, you know, Peloton hydro community. Oh boy. I know I have one and then I got the other because I just needed something else. I got bored on one and I needed to get the other, but I do think I always, feel better the days that I get up and do that. And I don't claim that I do a lot. I do maybe 20 minutes. That's it. I mean, that's about all you're getting out of me in the morning, a quick 20 minutes, and then the coffee first 20 minutes, and then get ready for work. There you um, go. But I, my only motivation to do that is because I read all the studies on Alzheimer's and mid and, and kind of mitigating risk factors and stuff like that. Wow. All right. Everybody listening. That should have been like a big note right there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what is like your position in, in in Mind Maze? That's Am I saying it correctly? Yep, it's Mind Maze. So I am the global chief commercial officer. So underneath me is all of sales, marketing, market access, commercial planning, um, KOL development, market shaping, as you call it. Um, so every everything that's touching a patient, a customer, and our footprint or our physical presence in the marketplace is kind of kind of me. Um, and then of course you have teams like finance and clinical development, which does our studies um, in in those areas. So, but I am this all the salespeople, the marketing people, business development, and and all of that. So I'm the person who's probably doing the activity you might see on LinkedIn if you're in an in industry um, and places like that. But in addition, we do other non-personal selling and personal selling. Oh, so we okay. have a team of people that go out into these accounts that go to hospitals, that go to independent rehab hospitals, that go to market, go to payers. Um, so we do have physical people out there who are out there having those conversations. So this isn't a, a startup though, right? Or is it a startup? It is. It's a, it's, it's a, what you call post series C startup company. The, um, and we, we just had our series, you know, we just had our last fundraise about uh, a year ago. So we just finished that about a year ago. So now that's why you're seeing more and more, I'm saying more and more of these activities because we're in that last phase of truly trying to scale up. Gotcha. So how many employees or people work um, in Mind Maze? There is just under 200 people for the company overall, and that's globally. That's um, globally. Okay. That's globally. We're, we're about 
20, we're about 20 or so people in the U.S. currently, and we're we're posting positions daily because we are in that scale up and hiring. We're hiring a lot of therapists because we do think that they're critical teaching, understanding the systems, um, helping customers to get on board with it. So they help us with usage, utilization, training, education in the marketplace. Then we have a few BD people. We have a few market access payer specialists um, within the company. So we have marketing team and the rest. So, so we're slowly scaling up and hiring. Gotcha. And the developers. And then we have a course. Well, that's the majority. Are all the, the, the computer engineers, programmers, gamers, <laughs> all of that. That's I would say that makes up a big bulk of our employees. Gotcha. Okay. Got some women in there? Uh, well, naturally, I am a woman. And so I tend to be not not always. I, I can't say that I, I orchestrate it by design, but we are heavily dominant. We've got a lot of females. All we right. Are, are <laughs> I am actually, um, I'm a, a big supporter of women in industry, both in tech and in healthcare. And uh, actually, and I'm going out to Rise next year, uh, next week, which is a, um, a conference for women executives and women supporting women and other things. So I'm a big believer in that. And I've been a mentor in that area for a long time, having been uh, on the board for HBA, which is Health Business Women's Association. Um, I've been a mentor for for many women, and and I like doing that for forever. I think women have to help women, and we miss the boat in so many places. We don't we don't play the game the same that as our male colleagues do, and we've got to change how we play the game. We don't do reciprocity. We don't share information. We don't share salaries. We don't do a good job of boasting about our friends who have achieved great things. <laughs> Yet guys do it all the time. Oh, yeah. All the time. And I'm like, we just need to be more open and more transparent. I agree. I love that. So, okay. When you're not really busy, oh, take out the 20 minutes on the on the Peloton. Um, what do you do for fun? I always throw this question out. <laughs> what do I do for fun? So I do, I do do a lot of evening meetings with, um, like I, this week I was at a holiday um, VC venture capital uh, Christmas meeting of a lot of, of women in healthcare. It's a fund that actually works um, trying to support and fund women, um, female healthcare technologies. Um, so I was at that supporting them, meeting many other women executives in healthcare and tech. Um, and that's fun because I know these people for years. So they've actually become like friends. So I will spend time with them. I love to be down on the shore, you know, hanging out at the beach and doing that. I like to fish. Uh, I actually like fishing and, and sports and some stuff like that. What kind of fishing? Deep sea fishing, like okay. tuna, tuna fishing, striped bass, um, fluke, flounder. And then, you know, what I call like the junk fish of the, the puffer fish and some fun things that you can take kids out for that can be just fun to catch in the bay. Um, yes, I bait my own hooks and I will do all that muck. Ew. You know, it's kind of fun. So Chum. you get, you get on a boat, a charter and go out and fish. Um, no, well, I, we had a boat, so I would do it. My, we, we would go out on our own. We would go boating on, we had, we had a boat that we would fish on. Yeah. Did you see sharks? Uh, yes. 
Yes, I have seen sharks. You have seen sharks. I caught. Uh, I was part of a boat that caught a six and a half foot mako, and actually, when sh- I've gone shark fishing off the coast of New Jersey. No, uh, really? Yeah, and we caught a shark. Did you watch um, Jaws before you did it? Uh, oh, that was way many years <laughs> before that. But it really does. Uh, I will tell you, it, it, it is. It's weird because it did circle the boat. This silly shark took four lines. Um, and and it jumped out of the water at one point that we're like, what did we, what is this now? Is it, is it what we couldn't tell what we caught then? Cause it jumped out of the water. I don't think any of us realized a Mako would jump like six feet out of the water, but we did, we caught it. Um, and we actually brought it back and then turned it into Mako steaks and, and the rest. And we all, oh, you kept- eat it. Yes. Yes. You must catch. If you're going to, if you're not going to do catch and release, you must be eating what you catch. Um, no, I would say a lot of what we do is catch and release because it's just fun. And you only take what you're going to eat. You never take something that you're not going to eat. Gotcha. So you've yeah. had shark. Yes, I have. It's very good. It is. Wow. It is. It is very good. So, yes, I've had shark. I've had striped bass. I've even bluefish. They're not the best to eat, but they're really fun to uh to catch we used to catch like baby blue snappers and stuff you know that's a lot of fun for catch and release um let the kids catch them because they put up a little bit of a fight but they're not too big to pull a kid into the water (laughs) so so we did we did a lot of that puffer fish are fun and then you you cook them but you didn't lose any kids though right no no my son is in college so he has survived well and he's in school now so okay no, no, many, no tragedies. Many, <laughs> many, ki- many pictures with the big catch that's only like six inches long. Of course, you know, there are rules and standards you follow for measurements. So, and they, they drift a little bit from year to year. But, yep, only only catch, only catch what you're going to eat. And if you're not, then you've got to put that back and let it grow for another year. So let it keep going. Good philosophy. Good philosophy. I think, well, that's fun. <laughs> it is. So I, I do that. And then, of course, just spending time with friends. At the beach, which I, given where I live, it's close by. That's I don't live on the beach. I wish I did, but I can get there in 20 minutes. Oh, that's not bad. No, no, not not bad. bad. Not Not bad. bad. But you're not, are your seaside heights? No. No, I, I live in what they call Monmouth County of New Jersey, which is the top end of the shore. And, uh, like where I see, I said, uh, in our previous discussion, the whales that go by and how clean the water is, Seabright is pretty close by. Um, and Seabright is, is kind of the beginning of the shore. You can see a little bit of New York City, but it is on the Atlantic and not on the bay. And then it just keeps going from there. But it is, it's wonderful watching how much the water's cleaned up around here and watch dolphins, porpoises, of course, and the whales go by now. Which is nice. So, yeah, you, of course, you know, that might come with an alcoholic beverage as I'm sitting there. But you know what? That's the only way to enjoy that. <laughs> that, that is the way the way we do it down the shore. That is that is. Well, that is awesome. Well, I'm not going to hold you up any longer because you are going to a fabulous Christmas party. So I hope you um, enjoy yourself. And I appreciate you jumping on and talking with me and our listeners. And um, I appreciate you and your fabulousness. Oh, thank so. you. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, find me on LinkedIn and tell me that they heard me here with you so that I know where they come from. Um, 
And I, I uh, it was really great talking with you. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. Yeah, I learned so much. I learned so much, not only about technology, but also about fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably too much, too much information. Um, you know, no, I love it. It's fun to see all how women we are so smart and we're doing all of these great things in technology, but yet we also have our fun side. We have to. I mean, there's nothing, you know, like like baiting a hook and then trying, you know, and then trying to get a hook out and put it back in the water and, you know, full of scales and muck or or shark fishing and chum. Anybody who's ever done it understands what chum is. It's not clean. You're not going to look pretty. Isn't it blood and guts? (laughs) Actually, uh, yeah, you're in the right space, but I won't. uh, I'll leave it there. It it can be a lot of fun. Um, And I grew, you know, I I don't mind getting my hands dirty, obviously. If I'm willing to drive a truck, you know, I've got no problem with fishing. There you go. Yes. Oh my God, the truck! I totally forget. I was so distracted by the fishing. I got the <laughs> awesome truck. I would be taking out people right and left. No, so. you get good at it. Trust me. Anything. It's like anything else, right? Ten thousand hours. Practice, practice, practice. That is true. That is true. Well, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and enjoy your party tonight. Thank you. And uh, cheer to the whales to us. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing in Ohio. We don't have whales in Ohio. That, that you just have to come east. Come east. <laughs> you have beautiful lakes. Don't don't kid yourself. I've seen the lakes there. They are you've got some beautiful lakes. We we have some water, just not that water. Yes, you do have good water though. So, so. it's a great state. Oh well, thank you. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. We will see you next time and feel free to drop us a line at getwitit.org.